0: too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy30. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill.
1: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On today's episode of Risk, you'll hear Julia Wiedemann. You
0: know, and the next time I'm like, you know, I think I
2: understand. It's like the first time you hear a Kesha song. You're like...
1: (laughs) That and more. But before all that, listen to this. you need to create an exceptional website.
3: Squarespace.com Squarespace.com And you
1: can drag and drop your images to upload. With Squarespace.com, your site will look great on any device building, state-of-the-art where pages and blocks has never been easier. So try Squarespace.com today! Today! <laughs> oh, dear God, my lungs! Guys, Squarespace has beautiful templates, integration with Google Apps, and Getty Images, and responsive design for a free trial. And 10% off your first order, go to squarespace.com and enter the code RISK. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. RISK is also supported in part by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment audible is offering risk listeners a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial membership go to audiblepodcast.com slash risk get a free audiobook of your choice now at audiblepodcast.com slash risk now here's the show whoa 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 Kids, this is Risk—the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Albino. Behind me now, I am stuck, my friends. There is a huge blizzard happening right now in my home of New York City, and I came out to San Francisco to do Risk at the San Francisco Sketch Fest. And I got stuck here. I am in the Hotel Kabuki in Japantown, which is kind of like being stuck in heaven during a weather crisis, as far as I'm concerned. We're calling today's episode In a Tizzy, because we have three stories that are sometimes funny and sometimes very not so. Sometimes put these storytellers in a tizzy and probably will put you there, too, in a little bit. We're going to hear from Jessica Wise, who was a recent student of mine at the Story Studio. But before that, we're going to uh, feature a story that was told when we did our last show live in Pittsburgh. Now, we had a lot of trouble with sound that night, so the sound is a little murky. But we like the story itself so much. We had to get it on. Now you can find David Montgomery at facebook.com slash buy me a hot dog. And it's well worth checking out because as you will hear, he is a fabulous storyteller and comedian down there in Pittsburgh. Here he is now, David Montgomery, with a story we call Spice Justice.
4: So I was raised in a very poor suburb of Pittsburgh, to the point where uh, I wasn't really pushed to do a whole, whole lot in life. Like my, I always thought in some way I was gonna have a fallback. I was just gonna inherit the family business. And then one day I realized that I could not get pregnant, sue for child support, and going, well, for the way, my mother did is a family business. So I decided I was gonna go to school and I was gonna become a teacher instead. And the, the nasty little rural town that I'm from, and the, my family even at the time, they're not like this now, but they, they're both really homophobic. And so I found myself suppressing a very big personality as a byproduct of hiding my sexuality. And so I'm coming across as shy and timid and meek and quiet when I'm really anything but that. My, uh, th- there was this moment that just sort of defined me that happened, I was about 14 years old, And I remember I experienced the first life-changing event for me. Something so real, so raw, that would shape me as a person. I saw the Spice Girls on MTV. (laughs) (laughs) These five British idiots running around in a London hotel, ruining all these rich, fancy people's evenings. Like, I actually have really amazing taste in music, but there was something about this energy that totally appealed to me. And so, you know, I know, here I am, a 14-year-old gay boy who saw the Spice Girls on TV and now wants to be a Spice Girl. I know you're all thinking, what a stereotype. And you're right, all teenagers do is watch TV. But if I could look back, if I could go back in time and tell my little 14-year-old gay self that one day I was going to grow up, I was going to leave my teaching job, for a whole year, to follow the Spice Girls around on every North American tour date of their reunion tour and meet them multiple times, little gay me would not believe it. But that's another story. So, um, when I turned 18, I needed to spread my wings for college. Now, the suburb that I'm from is about 30 minutes outside of like the major metropolitan area of Pittsburgh, and uh, but socioeconomically, it's like 10 trillion miles away. Like, these... So like these dingy rundown houses with holes in their sidings and like front porches that haven't seen a fresh cut of paint since like Reagan and like a place where now meth is king. It, it's unbelievable. To this day, almost all of my siblings live within a few blocks of my mother's house, just like all of our unique, destructive, withering relationships with her. But when I moved away, 30 minutes away, it was the end of the world for her. Like, she became that inconsolable military wife that just got the awful telegram. Like, she was beside herself. And for me, and this is not a commentary on my relationship with her, but for me, I didn't care at all. I didn't, because for the first time in my life, I was going to be free. I was going to feel safe. I was around all these other people of like mind. It was amazing. I moved there, and I felt good, and this feeling of safety continued into my adult life for a lot of reasons, the main one being that Pittsburgh is a pretty safe city crime-wise by and large. Like all throughout college I'd stumble home on the weekends drunk, like walk half a mile, no mace, no knife, no nothing, never look over my shoulder because I didn't have to. And then I moved to a major metropolitan city after college. Um, I'm not going to say the name of it for a number of reasons. One, it's like legal and safety and blah blah blah, and the other one is because I'm like a withholding asshole and I don't want you guys to know where it is. So, (laughs) as you can imagine, when I moved to this new big giant city, um, it doesn't have the same safe reputation as Pittsburgh. In the first few months that I lived there, I got this terrible job within my major, and that part of it felt good, but I hated the job. And uh, But I felt like Mary Tyler Moore. I was like, you know, I was gonna make it after all. i throw my hat in the air. And, like, I felt like such a grown up. I was independent, and here I am, like, so grown up. I was riding a subway to and from work, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. And the second reason why I felt so grown up was that, just like the grown ups that raised me, I didn't have a penny to my name and I couldn't pay my bills. So, on this subway commute home one night, it was December, i had been there a few months at this point. December, it's already dark at 6pm, so uh, I had to cross like four short blocks from where it left me off to the intersection by my apartment. And uh, the streetlights were like just far enough apart to not really do their job. (laughs) But like, nothing bad happens at 6pm, so everything's fine, especially when you have a secret weapon like I do. My secret weapon, and you can use this if you want to, but it's really stupid, is to take out your phone as soon as you get out of the subway and have a real or imagined conversation on it. To me, this made me look unapproachable and it made me feel safe. In hindsight, dumbest fucking idea on earth. Because <laughs> it, it makes me look preoccupied and therefore very vulnerable.
3: So I pull,
4: up, I pull out my phone this particular December night and I have a real conversation, thank you, and uh, I call my friend back home in Pittsburgh and I'm just shooting the shit about whatever. And, um, and then my conversation is interrupted by like the sudden thud of pressure to my left side. And it was a feeling that I never thought I'd have to confront in my life. Give me your fucking wallet. And I'm like, oh no. I'm not prepared for this. This strong but cautious thug now covering the front of me I didn't know what to do. I wasn't prepared in any way, shape, or form for like a security threat of this magnitude, so I had to rely on my gut instinct, and what my gut told me to do was cry. Like, Ginger just left the Spice Girls (laughs) today. Crying my eyes out on the phone, I wouldn't hang up the phone because I felt like she could somehow send help from Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm Crying my eyes out, and he has the phone call for me. It's 2006, so you can't judge for him slapping the, the the flip phone shut off of me. He slams in his pocket, give me your fucking wallet. And he slams the gun now into the front of me even harder. This guy was clearly not from Pittsburgh. <laughs> so. I don't know what to do. And I didn't want to be a hero. I mean, I was raised to quit. I didn't want to be a hero. And I had nothing to lose. And when I say that I had nothing to lose, I mean that so literally. In my wallet, there was a receipt from the dollar store where I bought breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There was a photo ID and there was a debit card that was overdrawn by $3 for buying breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I'm begging and pleading and I'm crying. I'm like, please, you don't understand. Like, I don't even have money to pay my bills. I can't replace the ID that's in there, please. Just give me my stuff back. No, either this thug realized that the bitter cold December wind knocking us down wasn't worth standing in if he wasn't gonna make any money. Or maybe he realized the longer he deliberated on this issue, the higher the likelihood a police car was gonna drive by and say, hey, what game are you guys playing? Got room for another one? (laughs) Or maybe he just had a really big heart because he hands me my wallet back. Don't fucking call the police. Don't fucking call nobody. Get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> no. Absolutely. Scout's honor, like I promise. I will call. Um, I hope you have a great night, but, but on the subject of not calling anybody, can I have my phone back? <laughs> and at this point, like, The look on his face was so unreal. It was so stoic. There was nothing there. His voice protruded anger and intimidation, but the look on his face, there was nothing there. He was just, it was just this like dark stone, a head taller than me, with two eyes, a temper, and a gun. And at this moment, there was a connection. He felt something for me. Maybe he realized that we weren't so different after all. I'm not trying to say like Steve Martin, the jerk. I was raised a poor black child. (laughs) But like, I think he realized our struggle might not have been so different. At the beginning of this thing, he probably thought, this is some young yuppie idiot whose mommy and daddy are paying his rent and he's working for spending money. And if he misses it, he'll call mommy and daddy. And the desperation in my tears made him realize that's not the case. And I put him in my shoes for just a second. And so I find myself With my phone now, he lets me go. And I walk past him and he just watches me. Like a fucking scarecrow, he watches me walk away and walk up the stairs into my apartment building and the glass heavy security door slams shut and locks behind me and I turn around and look and he's standing there, a million feet tall, just staring back at me. And I get in. I'm crying my eyes out at this point. My friend called me back hysterical over the few minutes of the conversation she was privy to. She's like, oh my God, Dave, what happened? Are you okay? And I'm like, I was mugged. I'm okay. And she's like, oh my God, did he get anything? I'm like, no, he gave everything back. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, no, He gave everything back. And I said, so, she's like, well, did you call the police? I'm like, no, I promised him I would. <laughs> so I, she's like, idiot, hang up the phone and call him. So I hang up the phone and I had a decision to make, because on one hand, I had never seen a gun before in my life. And this guy could have fucking killed me. And he knows where I live and he knows what I look like. How could I ever feel safe again? On the other hand, he did give me my stop back. That was pretty sweet of him. He didn't even shoot me, which I kind of appreciated. <laughs> And I promised him, I wasn't gonna do it, and I'm a man of my word, so I had a decision to make, but I had to do the right thing. He was probably on his way to somebody else at this exact second. So I called, and I felt like a fucking superhero. Within 10 minutes, we found him. We booked him that night, and every second, every minute, every hour that passed in the sobering white fluorescent light of that police department, I felt less like a superhero. And more like a like a jacked up Halle Berry character where they like dress her down and they mess up her hair and they make her seem all frazzled and they're... No one in the department cared at all. There was not an emotional connection to what happened. I was a number on a piece of paper with some adjectives and height and whatever, and that was it to them. And it made me realize, this isn't Pittsburgh, I need to go back home. So I decided it wasn't the city for me. Wrong time, wrong place. But... Uh, How was I going to face him in court? The subpoena came in the mail, and so did all of my diarrhea. Like, it was ridiculous. (laughs) I I thought I was going to actually die. I thought I had a (laughs) minute. I didn't know what to do, and I went in that day, and I was beside myself. I had already made the decision to move back home, and I go in, and I'm like, (laughs) okay. I don't have to see my, are I, are see my attacker. And they're like, oh, your child's been postponed. We'll get in touch with you. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Did I just win the golden ticket? Cause I'm moving away in like a week. So I'm done, but like hats off to you guys. Good job. And I will see you. I hope it all goes well. And they're like, oh, that's, that's so cute. But no, when it says summons to appear in court, that means you'll get arrested and go to jail if you don't show up. I'm like, oh, shit. Well, I have a big vacation coming up this fall that cannot be disturbed. Like November to March, I am going on a several month long vacation all over the country. And they're like, we'll work around it, but you're fucking coming. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. What I didn't tell them is that this big long vacation was a several month long big gay Spice Girls reunion tour vacation and I would be all over the place. Now, during this tour, I had a YouTube show that made me pretty notorious in the Spice community, which, funny enough, is an actual thing. (laughs) So here I am. I've I've got this YouTube show, I am recognized at every airport, at every People are coming up to me like, oh my god, can I get a picture with you? And I'm like, yeah, here we go. And then they're like, oh, you're living my dream. And I'm like, you have really weird dreams. I, so I'm doing all this. And I, like, I was,
3: I was papped.
4: I was papped with the Spice Girls. That is when a paparazzi website or magazine runs a photograph of a famous person with a regular person in it, too. I was fucking in that. Talk about exposure, right? But like, surely the trial was going to be over by then. So the day comes, they, of course, I had to go back and forth several times. I flew back to this city and flew back, flew back, flew back, flew back, flew back. They kept on postponing it, and I didn't fucking understand why. And my, like, I hate to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but like, I felt very overexposed at the time. So I, like, I was worried that with my big public eye persona, and again, dating this story, MySpace was pretty big. Uh, <laughs> I was worried how easily he could hunt me down it's not that unreal to think about and so I know so, he, so when I go in I'm like what am I going to do the day actually comes for me to face him and he's there and this is happening and I think like what if His family is there? What if his friends are there showing support? What if they're frightening too? What if they follow me home? What if they put out a hit on me? If rap music has taught me anything, it's that snitches get stitches. I am snitch pretty bad at this point. Now mind you, I had a pretty distinct look at the time that I haven't mentioned. I had a long inverted bob haircut that was bleach blonde with about three-inch-long black roots from months of penniless traveling during the spice renaissance. <laughs> so I decided, in order to protect my safety, to let my to not let my fear overcome my compassion for this guy's struggle, I needed to adopt a disguise. So I borrowed my friend's preppy clothes, which is totally unlike me, and then I pull out the glasses that I hadn't worn since I got contacts in, like, 2001. It was like a round Harry Potter-style number. And then I pulled my hair back into a bun. If you've ever had long hair with three inch roots, um, you pull it back and all that was on the sides and on the top was jet black and then a fried yellow donut of hair on the back of my head. <laughs> I was obviously a master of disguise that could go under the radar in any situation. you like a Harry Potter drag queen. So I went in, I testified, I didn't know how it went because I was just a witness in this and then I'm sitting outside. And this guy in a suit comes up to me and he's like, oh, so thank you so much for cooperating. And I was like, you didn't make it seem like I had a choice. So thanks for that. But okay, sure. You're welcome. Here's a handshake. We're people. And so he says, "Um, yeah, so we need to talk about what happened. The postponements that they kept on doing, bringing you here and sending you back, that was a defense tactic. Um they were doing that to create some kind of cloud in your memory to make it fuzzier so there would be a difference between your testimony today and the report that night. If even one thing is different from then till now, we cannot convict this guy. You got a white accuser, you got a white prosecutor, you got a white judge, and you got a black defendant. It just looks bad. You gotta understand that. And I'm like, I understand it, but I hate it. <sighs> This is not fun. And he's like, well, listen, you got to look on the bright side. And I'm like, I, I can't right now. I'm really, thank you, but I can't do that. And he's like, well, no, listen, you, you serve justice as best as you can. And you know, you got to feel good about that. And I said, I'm sorry, but it's really not doing anything for me right now. And he says, but at least it didn't cut into your vacation. And I'm like, what is this? I paid for the vacation. I was like a trillion dollars. Fuck you. And he says, no. The whole time that guy was in custody, he was on parole and he broke his parole when he attacked you. So every time that you weren't here, he's been in custody. And it made me realize something amazing. The months that I couldn't make it, those big gay Spice Girls months, this dude stayed in jail. When he couldn't make it, he stayed in custody. When I couldn't make it, he stayed in custody. When the Spice Girls sang "Stop Right Now," thank you very much. He stayed in custody every single one of those nights. You could argue—I mean, realistically, I feel like the Spice Girls cleaned up the streets for a couple of months. I felt like it was—it was in the cards. But you could argue circumstance or coincidence. But girl power works in mysterious ways. I feel like it was planned. I choose to believe that Victoria Beckham said, do you know, this guy in this city that David doesn't want to say what it is, this guy really has some good inside of him somewhere. He needs time away from society so he can go on the right track. Maybe maybe Baby Spice was like, no, I know he's definitely got good somewhere
3: deep inside of him. <laughs>
4: what you want to believe, but I want to say a personal thank you to Scary, Baby, Ginger, Posh, and Sporty, because I choose to believe they spiced up this guy's life, and they set him on a path to enlightenment. Girl power is a beautiful thing. Thank
3: you very much.
5: My boyfriend and I had been on a very typical European backpacking adventure a few years ago, and we're in our mid-20s. A little background on us, we've been dating for a couple years, and had lived abroad for a while, and we were able to save up all this money before we moved back to the U.S., so we thought, let's go on this big trip. As per usual, I I plan most of it, and it's kind of a catch-22 always between us that I'm a control freak that wants to have everything planned but it's always his fault that he's not participating either when I don't necessarily give him the opportunity to. Um, so we're on this trip and we're checking off places on the itinerary and we're going to Seville, Spain and I really wanted to go to a bullfight. It was kind of a last minute thing on the trip so I didn't ha- diligently plan the hotel the way I normally had and so the only room available on the Friday night we got in was at a hostel and not only was that a hostel but it was in a one of those multi-gendered rooms which are usually super cheap but then not many people want to be in them because of exactly the point it just it's worse than a college dorm but with strangers and so we think you know what it's only one night who cares I normally would not have wanted to be in that situation but because I'm with my boyfriend, c'est la vie, It's one night. Let's just stay there. We walk in the room and it's on the third floor of this old Spanish mansion. And I mean, it's a gorgeous home and had an open balcony and there were windows in each of the rooms that faced out to the balcony because the whole middle roof was open because it's for airflow and and that the windows in the rooms could be open from the inside as well as from the outside facing walls. There were two bunk beds available. There were three bunks that were lining the three walls. One of the top bunks was open and one of the bottom bunks was open. And I grew up on a top bunk and I said, no problem, I'll take the top bunk. I had noticed because the window was right flush with the top bunk, it was a little high, and I thought, that's odd, I just want to make sure that it's locked, and just normal safety precautions, and and there was this old wooden shutter door that made this creaky sound when you opened it. There was no real lock other than this latch. It was pretty faulty, but I thought, you know what, the window's high enough up it's really creaky. If anyone comes in, I'm going to hear the creak. And there was no way that anyone just standing could go through the window. It would have to be fairly calculated to put a chair in front on the window on the outside and then go up and then open the window. And I'm usually one of those people that thinks I'm going to get raped around the street corner everywhere I go. I carry my key in my hands and I'm ready to mode if I have to, and I'm always thinking like that, so I'm glad that I ran through the scenario in my head, but kind of checked that box, being like, I thought about it, I know how it would happen, so you know it's not going to happen, I can go to sleep. In that millisecond between when your brain's awake, but your eyes aren't open yet, I felt a hand. I had a long summer dress on, I had the sheet on, and I had underwear on. So the hand was like right on my genitalia, ready to go all up in there. And in that millisecond, I'm thinking of John, my boyfriend at the time, who was with me, and I'm thinking, why, why, why would you be touching me in a room full of strangers in the middle of the night that I'm sleeping? Like how creepy, even though that you would never do that, and I remember thinking that. I'm, I'm blinking, I'm starting to wake up, and I look to my right, and my senses are starting to turn on, like, okay, window, window was to the right, and I'm looking over, and I don't have my contact lenses, and I have really shitty vision, and I just see this blur of a man, but it's just a mop of black hair and a black beard, and my boyfriend has red hair, so it... It's not him, and I'm looking and now he's starting to speak in Spanish to me, he's whispering. I could tell in my limited Spanish that he was just talking dirty to me. I'm I'm frozen just for a second, not realizing what to do, and all of a sudden my fight or flight response is just turned on, and I go immediately to go and punch him, but I fall through the window, he's ducking, I see that there's a chair there. I'm hold myself with the window pane or else I'm gonna fall through the window. And he's able to like scrounge down, run down to the staircase, and because of those balconies, how you couldn't see everything, I could see him go down the stairwell, go into the second floor bedroom, and close the door. So I'm able to push myself off the window pane. And at this point there was enough commotion that now John's near my bed, like what happened? And I just remember yelling, he touched me, he touched me, he touched me. Immediately, he's asking questions like, touchy where? What happened? Rather than like, go get him. Like, go get him. And I just, because I just wanted to act. And I remember being like, we have to go to the lobby and block the door so he can't get out. So we sprint down the stairs and we're in the lobby area and there's the front reception desk. And we see a sign that says, attendant not there until 8 a.m. And then there's a clock to the side that says 6.45. No phones around. Thank God, I could see it in the background of the lobby. It was a pretty big lobby. There was a girl on the computer in the back, and I go up to her and I say, "Can you please call the police?" And she's like, oh, I don't speak English. I'm like, "Polizei, police, polizia," and she got the message and could see that I was agitated. So she, I saw that she called. John and I are just standing there in the middle of this beautiful old mansion just waiting for the police and all of a sudden down this open stairwell comes the guy. He must have taken off his shirt because now he's putting on his shirt as he's walking down the stairs kind of in a oh, what's the commotion going on down here? And in my head, I'm thinking, you fucking asshole. Like, he's walking down the stairs, and then now I have this opportunity again, and John's staying there, but I just run up the stairs. I go, boom, and I punch him right in the face. And unfortunately, my 5'7", 120-pound frame body didn't do much, but now I'm just arate, and I'm, I'm screaming. I'm like, you fucking asshole, what the fuck did you think you... Who do you think you are? Like... I'm just livid and he goes to John and goes you're a man I'm a man like she's a woman like so I touch her and I'm yelling at John like punch him knock him out like fuck this guy like this is what the fuck and just nothing I remember just being so angry that like I'm gonna wait outside block the door from the inside I'm gonna wait on the outside for the police And so I'm waiting outside, thinking like, what the fuck? And here I still don't have my contact lenses on. So not only am I like emotionally, like everything's starting to come out now, but like I can't see either. So like, it's just such a bizarre memory too that I have not my real vision of memory. Like it's this like whitewash blur. I can see the police car rolling up in the distance. And all of a sudden I hear all this racket inside, like tables falling down, like glass breaking. The guy runs out the door, and I remember being like, no, he's going to get away. And I grabbed the corner of his shirt, and I still remember that feeling of, like, you know, that when you can't hold on to something and, like, just trying so hard to hold on to it? And grabbing the corner of his shirt and not seeing where John is, and then all of a sudden I see him come out, and the French girl had a boyfriend apparently that almost looked like Fabio had this like blonde hair in a ponytail just huge like wrestler body and between the two of them were able to tackle this guy and John was smart enough to get on the guy's back like put his knee in his back and then pull out his wallet and throw it in the opposite direction that he was laying in so god forbid he got away at least we could ID the the motherfucker And thank God the police came, he was still there, and we were able to file a police report. Uh, We know that he was arrested. Don't know what the Spanish court system ended up doing with him, but justice was served in the best possible way that you could think of in this situation that it wasn't this i think of so many stories that you hear of drunk american girls you're just being not smart walking through like these things happen all the time but like i happen to be in a situation that i was able to react quickly didn't have any alcohol in my system and that i had a loved one with me to be able to help Awkwardly, we go back to the hostel, and and the hostel owner refunds us, and we get a, a hotel room like we actually thought we were going to plan on doing the, the next night. And I just remember laying on the bed, John laying there next to me, and, and then we started kissing and proceeded to have sex like a normal couple. And I just, for that split second, I remember thinking of what had happened just a mere... 12, 12 hours before, 14 hours before, and and thought to myself, like, I'm not going to let this get in my way. Like, I have a, a habit of ruminating over things, overthinking things, and I thought, like, it's okay to be emotional about this, but it was a stranger and a horrible thing that happened. It doesn't say anything about anything, and I'm like, I don't want this to affect anything between John and I and at first I just thought it was the sexual part that like the stranger touched me here I don't want to think about that every time anyone touches me there but as like the the weeks progressed and we ended up going home and We were planning for living in Europe, which we then did and saw each other briefly over over the fall I'm We live in separate cities in the US, but we were planning on going to Germany together and Instead, what happened was the opposite, that I I kept thinking not just of, like, the act and what happened, but more bothered that when I was yelling at John to punch him, he didn't have the same response that I had towards this guy of just wanting to deck him. Rather than just appreciating John's emotional intelligence differences, not for better or for worse, like, they're different than mine, and rather than just appreciating that, I just got so fixated that this event was so symbolic of him not sticking up for me or sticking up for us or planning for the future and i just let that drive a wedge between us and it was just the elephant in the room all the time but i decided in a cowardly way not to bring it up and it was just easier to think about it in my head or talk to my girlfriends about it and john really is such a, a healthy good yin yang balance to me instead of just dealing with the normal curves that life throws you as a, a couple. And even though we were in our mid-20s, this was probably our, our first big one. And I, I can't say that I know what it feels like to lose a child or like face another huge other traumatic event. But I feel like in my own small way, like you kind of get a taste of that. When something happens like that and two people don't decide to take that opportunity to deal with it together and say things even if you know that they're the wrong emotions to have, that they're your emotions regardless and deal through it. And I didn't do that. Instead, I asked him to leave, like, when I I was in Germany. and And I immediately regretted it. But then, like, we weren't kids anymore. There were consequences that... He had flown to Australia to be with friends there, and there were visa issues. There was like money issues. I had a thousand dollars my name. I couldn't grab a plane and go there. And I thought maybe like the break is like a good chance for us, just to, like or really a good chance for me to deal with like how how I process things, what what he means to me what I need to do like myself that like takes two to tango sort of thing and being more explicit about how I feel and when I feel it but it took a lot of time and just like one decision how it took almost a year and a half before we were in the same place again like geographically but then also like mentally because that like really hurt him that I, I took such an extreme path just to like prove a point out of like pride rather than just talking about it as an adult why would he want to be with me either if i just took such drastic decisions rather than just talking about it and uh, the drama queen written all over it or like again like fuck you and I mean I totally under understood that and it like broke my heart knowing that there may not be an opportunity for us to be together again but thank God that wasn't in the cards and we're back together again and things are great and I think I'm far better now at rather than judging my feelings as ones that I need like I can't have some because they're not logical or like because I want to be logical to him that no, it's okay, logical or not, that my feelings are my feelings, and I just need to share them with the person that I'm most intimate with and like that shouldn't judge right or wrongness of that stuff. And and I'm glad as a life lesson in myself that I was able to experience something like that at such an earlier age and something that wasn't as largely traumatic because I think just that the lesson that you learn letting someone go and then being able to get them back... You're able to put it in perspective in a totally different way that the little small things that just piss you off from living together, like, it's not a big deal. Think of what the actual drastic alternative is, that he's not in your life. And I know it's absolutely absurd to think in such, like, cataclysmic ways for everything, but the way my brain works, like, it really does, like, it's a pill to just drop me in a gear of just, like, perspective. And I know I have to remind myself of that all the time in a lot of different areas of my life. But I'm glad I have something to, to bring me always back to that center when it comes to him.
6: She makes me smile She thinks the way I think That girl Makes me want to be better Took her down Bleecker's street so she drank The way I drank I kissed the sky To send the blue A letter That girl Makes me wanna be a better man. Yeah, and should she see fit, gonna treat her like a real man. Okay.
1: This is risk. This lovely song is by Paolo Nutini, and we just heard from Jessica Wise, who took a workshop with us at the Story Studio. That was in New York, but we teach workshops in Los Angeles as well, one-on-one training over Skype, and we're soon to be releasing a course that I'm supremely proud of, Intro to Storytelling, uh, that you can take in your own time over the internet. It's not out yet. But it is a coming. Now in between the first hosting segment of this uh, episode and this one, night fell here in San Francisco and I met a lovely, super sweet, super wonderful fan of the show named Justin who, um, among other things, he Shared with me, he heard the NYC Podfest episode uh, that was all about butts, and he suggested we have an annual buttisode. See, it, it, the way that fans contribute to what we do never ceases to amaze me. Of course, we should have an annual buttisode. So get on it, kids. Start pitching those butt stories because, you know, about a year from now, we're going to be having our second annual buttisode. Don't forget that Risk is brought to you in part by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform that makes building your own website simple and easy. For a free trial and 10% off your first order, go to squarespace.com and enter the code R-I-S-K. And now a special message from this guy. Hello, friends. You know... Some small businesses think that leasing a postage meter is how businesses get postage for their letters and packages. But they don't realize there's a better way. Stamps.com. Unlike a postage meter, Stamps.com has no hidden fees, no long-term contracts, and no extra hardware. At Stamps.com, you can save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Plus, with Stamps.com, you can use your existing address books or send tracking information to recipients with the click of a button. Think about it, jackass. Why, I use Stamps.com, and I'm as regular a guy as another guy who's regular too. Why don't you use my promo code, which is R-I-S-K. It's a no-risk trial. Plus, you get a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale, up to $55 free postage. Don't wait! Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on that microphone at the top of the homepage and type in R I S K.
7: That's stamps.com.
1: Okay, 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 okay. Stop the insanity. Let's get back to the stories. We're going to go to the pit in New York City at the Risk Live show, a recent Risk Live show there, where Julia Wiedemann told this one that we call should have been a better man.
2: the warning signs a girl could ever dream of you know he told me that he loved me within like two weeks (laughs) he drank so much Uh, he took Xanax recreationally (laughs) just like (laughs) Um, we would argue about when I would fall asleep at night I would say I'm tired he would say you're abandoning me Uh, uh, He also really hated my sneakers because he was a fancy man And I I liked Adidas uh, But I wasn't allowed to wear them And also he was rude to his mom yeah, you know, you know But you know what, I could justify the fact that he said that he loved me within two weeks I mean, you know, it's love, you know <laughs> When you know, you know, that love is crazy, all right And, uh, you know, hey, <laughs> we're in our 20s, everybody drinks a lot And you know what, I do not understand prescription pills <laughs> And uh, you know what, it must be so annoying When you want to spend time with your girlfriend and she just falls asleep <sighs> and, and you know what <laughs> Adidas, come on, <laughs> grow up, Julia, <laughs> like wear some j crew flats that he bought you, okay, just like wear some fancy shoes, be a fancy lady, make a good impression, okay, <laughs> but like being rude to your mom, like I've always believed that that was like if a man is rude to his mom that's like a, a peek into the future, like how he's gonna treat you one day. <sighs> So one so th- so this particular day it's a Saturday afternoon and John and I are uh, about to leave his apartment to go day drinking like we love to do every weekend <laughs> and uh he got a, a telephone call on his landline and he picked it up. It's his mother. And I'd only met her a couple times before, but she seemed like a perfectly lovely woman. My impression was she was you know, just shy, demure. But suddenly, John is pacing, frantic, and uh, just yelling, bitch, and you're acting like a cunt. And, you know, phrases I would never dream of saying to my mother, let alone accuse her of being. And... <laughs> and uh, and eventually uh, he uh, yells, You're interrupting our day! slams the phone down, throws it to the floor, and turns to me. He says, My mother's acting like such a bitch. And I say, Oh my God, what did she say? And he said, oh, I don't know, something stupid, She's just want to know when we're going to visit. I say, I'm sorry. You know, I I mean, I hate it when people get mad, you know. So um, he smiles, and then he walks towards me so we can leave. And then I say, but, you know, she is your mother, you know. I mean, I would never talk to my mother like that. He snaps his face towards me. He cuts the air between us, and he says, don't you dare presume to know what my relationship with my mother is. Don't you dare judge me. You have no idea. You know what? He's right. I do not know what it is like to grow up as an only child in a wealthy... Jewish household. I have no idea. I come from a family of five. I, I don't understand. You know, I don't understand what his mother is like. I wasn't on the line of that phone call. Oh my God, you know what? This is what love is about. This is being in a relationship. Learning. Accepting. Not judging. <laughs> coming to understand, you know? So the next time that I hear him talk to his mother in a rude fashion, it sounds kind of normal. You know, and the next time I'm like, you know, I think I understand. It's like the first time you hear a Kesha song. You're like... "Uh, Really? That? What? But then you hear it again, and you're like... That sounds familiar <laughs> and then you hear it again and again and you're like you know it's just easier to ignore that it's bad and just sing along it's going down I'm yelling to my you better move right better dance right
3: <laughs>
2: uh, John had a lot of flare-ups uh, especially when he was drinking um, You know, he would throw phones and glassware towards me and, uh, you know, have uh, aggressive sex with my body. Uh, You know, that felt like I wasn't even in the room. Um, You know, I mean, just a constant fight about me needing to, at one point in the night, fall asleep. Uh, You know... (laughs) But you have to understand, I mean, I was getting everything paid for, you know? I mean, he was buying me all these fancy dinners and drinks and cigarettes, and I was living a life in New York that I had never dreamed of living. I was going to Shun Lee and Café des Artistes and The Palm and The Hamptons, and it it just—I was fancy Julia now, you know? Things were bound to get back to the way that they were. You know what? I can fucking stick it out. Excuse me. What am I supposed to do? Break up with him just because one day, in theory, he might be rude to me? No. He is kind and generous, you know? <laughs> he, he is, he, you know, he's just stressed out because he lost his job. He's going to find another job. He's going to stop screaming at me and scaring me, and we're going to go back to being happy. I am going to take one moment to read a diary excerpt from three months in. I feel for him. I wouldn't love him the way I do and not feel pain when he feels so much. I do hope I can see him through this dark time. I will be there for him. I hope what I can do is enough. I hope he sees my strength and it rubs off. He will snap back in no time. My boyfriend is severely depressed, alcoholic, and suicidal. And I'm a theater major with a BA in optimism, (laughs) saying he's going to snap back in no time. Ladies and gentlemen, We're about a year in. Uh, It's just, uh, we're almost to an anniversary. It's uh, August. It's his mother's 60th birthday. She's having a big fancy birthday party out in Bridgehampton at their beautiful home. So we go out there, and it's a big fancy catered event. They actually hire one of my friends to cater the event, and they're fancy waiters, and uh, all of the family, and all the family friends. And all I want is to make a great impression. I just want to make a good impression on these people because I'm thinking, you know, the way that John is constantly referring to how we're going to get married, I'm like, these are the people we're going to invite, so uh, get ready. Um, And John is drinking and I'm drinking and everyone's drinking, so, you know, I'm not really thinking about how John has uh, gotten quiet, which is usually like clue number one that he's... um, I'm just focused on just being the happy girlfriend at his side. I'm just so determined to, you know, not be nervous. Because for all the ruined dinner parties and birthday parties and wedding parties, uh, John has always told me that he's sorry, he's going to get help, and it's never going to happen again. So I'm in love with him. And when you're in love with someone, you trust them, right? I mean, that's—I know that you don't judge and you trust them. And he told me this, and so I trust him. He's not gonna—he's not gonna have one of these flare-ups at his mother's 60th birthday party. It's his mother's 60th birthday party. After the cocktails, uh, dinner is served. Everybody is seated at these four big four round tables on the patio next to the house we all sit down and uh, the salads are served John's is missing. You know what? Honey, I'm sure you know they just didn't have enough hands to carry everybody's out at, at the same time. I don't care. Have some of mine. I don't want any. He actually doesn't seem to care. Like he's fine. He's fine. He's he's mouthing the ice cubes and his vodka on the rocks. Uh, so you know, like everything's fine. Like it's going to be fine. He's okay. He's okay. He's fine. It's okay. Did I mention this was two thousand eight, August? You know, Palin has just been announced as the running mate of McCain. So somebody commits the cardinal sin of mentioning politics at the dinner table. I mean, how could they not? I excuse them now, but in that moment, I became so tense. You don't mention politics. Not when John has been drinking. No, it's a hot trigger topic for him when he's sober. He's still mourning Carrie's loss to Bush. That was a big one, ladies and gentlemen, 2004. (laughs) No, okay, well. (laughs) Well, it's a big deal to John, but everyone's talking politics and I'm tense. But I look over, John doesn't seem to notice. He's swaying side to side. His eyes are relaxed, yet stern. And just, he doesn't seem to be listening. So I'm like, all right, everything's fine. Eating the salad. And then the guest next to me says, I would never vote for Obama. I don't want to go back to the Dinkins era, hiding my gold watch and gold chain on the street. I would never vote for Obama. I stare at my salad, <laughs> trying to become my salad. I notice that John has stopped swaying. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's strange in a party full of liberals, the one oddly racist Republican is sitting <laughs> at our table. <laughs> John says in a calm, steady voice, tell me why you wouldn't vote for Obama. Is it because he's black? Dinkins is a nigger. Obama is a nigger. You don't want to vote for a nigger. He just kept on saying the word over and over and over again. Everybody at the table is now staring at their salads, trying to become their salads. And he's just yelling, I bet you think that I'm a nigger lover because I'm going to vote for Obama. And now everybody else at the other three tables have stopped eating and stopped talking and are looking over at what's happening at table four. I'll tell you what's happening at table four. The thing that John said was never going to happen again and then he's up and he's yelling you fucking racist motherfucker I'm not gonna sit here at this dinner party you ruining my mother's 60th birthday party racist motherfucker he throws his chair at me goes into the house storms up the stairs and into his bedroom and we can all still hear him because then he gets on the roof on the roof ladies and gentlemen it's not my fault I'm not the bad guy I'm not the bad guy racist motherfucker And because I still want to make a good impression, I go upstairs to try and calm him down, and I wave to my friend in the kitchen, everything's fine, it's okay, and I go upstairs, and I try and coax him off the roof, and when I can't coax him off the roof, his mother tries to coax him off the roof, and when his mother can't coax him off the roof, his father tries to coax him off the roof, and this goes on for a little over an hour, and most of the party guests have left. Ugh. And then he gets into the room and he's ranting and raving and throwing his body around and then he throws a lamp and his mother gets caught in the line of fire and then his father throws his body on top of him. They smash an entire bamboo desk beneath them and I don't know what to do. Should I comfort his mother or should I offer to hold my boyfriend down? And because I can't decide what to do upstairs, I go downstairs and I tell everybody, everything's all right now. Please enjoy dessert. I cross the huge beautiful Hamptons fancy lawn and sit by the fancy beautiful pool and cry and because I'm lit only by the pool light I think I'm doing a pretty good job of convincing everybody that I'm okay when they come to check if I'm okay I'm fine I am fine They leave me alone, but then uh, eventually I see the paunch of John's father crossing the lawn. He stands above me and says, he's calmed down now. He's very afraid you're going to break up with him. He's very sorry. He's going to get help. This will never happen again. Please go talk to him. In another couple months, uh, John would uh, try to kill me by throwing me down a flight of stairs. I would leave him and he would subsequently uh, burn my social security card and birth certificate to try to eliminate me from the universe And I would put him in jail and get an order of protection. But that night, sitting by a beautiful Hampton's pool, I had become really good at ignoring how bad it was. And I really wanted to make a good impression. So I looked at his father and I said, of course I won't break up with him. I love him. Thank you.
7: It's not the same I tried my best But Found only rain I walked along And I saw the sights I've slept alone
1: That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is The Castle Walls Behind Me Now. Don't forget to pitch us your stories. We're always looking for stories from people all over the world. You can go to the submissions page at risk show.com. And remember, risk is appearing live in Chapel Hill at the DSI Theater on February 6th. So come out to see us, Chapel Hill and Carborough folks. It's gonna be another amazing show. Remember, Risk is a proud and happy member of the Maximum Fun Network of Podcasts, and we're listener supported. If you love what we do, you can help us out. We rely a great deal on the financial help of the people who love what we do. You can go to maximumfun.org/slash donate and make a one-time contribution or become a member and be sure to earmark your contribution for risk. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
7: Tell me you wanna sleep Found someone that will treat you right And at the end of the day If all you need is a love song He'll be by your side Content with being alone Can't even find my way home Now that things have gone wrong I won't wake up in the morning They seem too long anyway
5: Look going like had this like blonde hair and this like ponytail. Uh,
1: see what's going on?
5: Is it a does it look like old lady celebratory stuff?
1: Yeah, they're, they're having a rosary ceremony. Oh, shit.
2: How, long, how long do they usually go for? I don't know.